A New Year's revolution. This is our fifth week on this subject matter, and this morning, uh, as we move towards that, I want to kind of carry show you where we've been and where we're going today. Uh, of course, uh, the first Sunday of this series, lead intentionally, uh, live passionately, love lavishly, laugh frequently, and today, leave courageously. Now, I will say this. Some of you probably didn't walk in here today suspecting or expecting a sermon like this this morning. And uh, so it's going to be a little different. But I do want to teach you some things as it relates to the afterlife. And so if you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I know we don't like to talk about it. But we all, apart from the Lord's coming, will have an appointment with death. And I know that's something that we like to kind of not think about, something we want to push to the sides of our mind. But for some, death is accepted as a normal part of life. For many, death is a terrifying thought. For others, death is what many would call a courageous adventure that awaits them. And I think that probably many of us, probably this last category of people, we, we probably have not bumped into them a whole lot these days. But it's interesting that when you look into God's Word, you find several who looked at death as a courageous adventure. And so look at the introduction on your outline. Both Jesus and Paul were great examples of one who can leave this world courageously. Jesus on the cross and Paul in prison awaiting execution. Now, when you think of Jesus, I think many of us probably, when we see uh, his struggle with the cross and we understand what's going on with him, the night before all that, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is there, and it appears that he's struggling. And some people have even gone as far as saying he's, he's struggling with his uh, incoming death on the next day. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus was not afraid of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't afraid of what the Roman soldiers would do to him. He wasn't afraid of what the religious would do to him. You, you know what he was. You know what was he was struggling with? It's what his own father was about to do to him. It was the whole idea of the fact that the father was going to place all the sin of mankind upon Jesus, and and he would turn his back on Jesus, and and then his wrath would be exhausted on Jesus himself. That, so really, when you think about Jesus, his whole thing wasn't about death. It was about what the Father was about to happen, about to do to him. And so when we look at this, I think especially when it comes to Paul, maybe we can see so much more because Paul gives us all these clues about how he was facing his own mortality. And so look at the definition of courage. Some have defined courage as the power that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, and even death without fear. And it's that whole idea of, of facing many times the unknown. Now, many of us can recall our first encounter with death. I think for me, it was a pet. How many of you, for many of you, it was? When you were a young child, it was probably a pet. And I remember our little dog, his name was Frosty, and, and I remember him, and uh, he was a valiant little dog. No, I'm just kidding, but, but he, he was a neat little dog. I mean, he was the kind that would come and get into bed with you and snuggle up to you. I mean, just a sweet little dog. And I remember uh, we, we took him to our grandmother's, and, and, and we let him out to go, and, and, and then all of a sudden, we, we understand the car hit him. And I remember my mother coming in and telling me about Frosty has 
gone to heaven, <laughs> or the best word she could put to it. And that was my first encounter with the reality of death, it was right there in that little dog that I love so much. But you see, for many of us, it's bigger than that. Maybe it was a close friend, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent. You see, let's face it, death scares many of us. It, it, and for some, as I said before, it terrifies us. Why? Why is it that death terrifies people? I think one thing is because many people fear the unknown. It's not that they're afraid of dying. I mean, everyone we've ever known has died. And so I don't think it's necessarily that. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know what awaits us on the other side. So why do we fear it? Well, some would say, you know, I really don't fear it. I just fear the unknown. I fear about how it may come about. I fear those things because it's such a mystery. So the question then is this. How do we face death courageously? Someone has said how one faces death tells us a lot about how they live their life. And, and I believe that's true. We see this clearly in Paul's life. Paul, as he writes his second letter to Timothy, was in prison just before his execution. And many people believe this is the last letter he ever wrote. And so I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Let's look at how Paul faced death courageously. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and, at the, time, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. You see, Paul was telling us, you know something? I think my journey is about to end. You know something? I think death is in front of me. It's right around the corner. And he's telling his thoughts on that. Now, how did Paul get to the point that he was so courageous facing his death? So look on your outline. First of all, he lived sacrificially. Paul lived sacrificially. You see, Paul's life, here's what you need to understand. Paul's life was not really about him. He didn't make his life about him. He made his life about the calling that was placed on him by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by the one who created him. And so all of a sudden, look at verse 6 again. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, when he says drink offering, of course, he's referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And if you want to know what a drink offering is, you can look it up in Numbers chapter 15. But basically what Paul was trying to say here, he's saying that, you know something? I'm being poured out. My life was never about me. I am. My life was a living sacrifice. Now, here's what's interesting. Some of you may wonder, well, why didn't Paul die the death of Jesus? Why didn't he hang on the cross? We know Peter did later, but why, why, not, why not Paul? Many scholars and historians believe and know that Paul was beheaded. And, and what's interesting about that is a, a Roman citizen could never hang on a cross. That's the way the Romans dealt with it. And so if you weren't a citizen of the country... You, you didn't hang on a cross because we all know that a cross is a agonizing, one of the most agonizing ways a person could die. And so for the Roman citizens, what awaited them many times in their execution was a, a beheading, something that was quick, something that uh, there was no suffering associated with it. And so that's the reason Paul himself 
would be beheaded. Paul is saying, listen to this, when he says I'm being poured out, Paul is saying that his life since he met Christ could be described, as as I said before, as a life of sacrifice. And he challenged his readers to live the same way. He said this is a he said this in different ways in all his letters. In Romans 12:1, we know this verse very well. I hope you know it. I use it a lot. Here's what it says: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what? That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul's basically saying, you know something? Won't you follow my example? I've, I've laid down my life, I've laid down my body. On behalf of Christ. He says it again in Galatians 2.20. You know this verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And so again it's that thought of. of Paul was not living his life as unto himself. Philippians 1.21 says this. Paul said. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. You see, you see how you get there courageously? You see the thought processes? And then Colossians 3.3 says this, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul is basically saying that his life was in Christ. It was in Christ. He lived his life in Christ. And therefore, and now his death, guess where his death will be? His death will be in Christ. So, so how do you face death courageously? If you do it the way Paul did, here's what he said. He says it's in Christ. I lived my life in Christ. My heart beat for Christ. It was all about Christ. And so therefore, as I face my impending death, I'm here to tell you that I'm going to also die in him. Do you see the comfort that can come? Do you see the courage that could come in that thought process? I like to... Many times I meet with the family when it comes to preparing a memorial service. And and the reason I like to do that is I like to make the, the, the ceremony as personal as I possibly can. Because I realize that we're honoring the life of someone. But not only honoring that life, if that person is a believer, we're also honoring our Lord in the process of honoring that life. And there's one thing that, I, that I'm curious about. I, I'll say something along these lines, and many of you may have been in the process with me in this. I'll say, well, when, when, you, when, you, when you think back on this person's life, what will you always think about? What will jump to the forefront of your mind? Do you know what it always is that jumps to the forefront of their mind? Many times, it, it could be something that they simply said over and over again. How many of you have those kind of thoughts of loved ones? But for many of them, they'll tell you what they were passionate about. I guess my question to you this morning is this. When it all is said and done, what will others say that you are passionate about? That will tell a whole lot about your life. And Paul is telling us this in these verses I just gave you. He's saying it was all about Christ. It was my standing in Christ. It was was all about him and my heartbeat for his mission that he placed in my life and the calling he placed in my life. It was all about him. So my question is, does your life communicate that you are passionate about living for and in Christ? Next, to face the world or face death courageously, we need to understand properly what death is. You see, so many times I think that what we do, and, 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 and my personality kind of lends itself to this. Those things that I don't want to face, I sometimes want to stick my head in the sand. How many of you have that kind of, I don't want to think about it, just let me just 
living my own little fantasy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't want to deal with the reality of it all. But, but the reason I think we don't want to do that, I think, not the reason, but I think there's a mistake by approaching death that way. I think it's important that we understand what it really is. How many of you agree that everybody has an idea about what it is and what it leads to? Everybody does. But what does the Bible say? The Bible is very clear about what it is. Paul gives us a clue here. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at the second part of verse 6. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. It's close. It's getting ready to happen. The word departure in this context literally means, <laughs> this is good imagery, to set sail. To set sail. It would be no different than me saying, Paul looked at death like this. It would be no different than me saying, you know something, I'm going to go to the coast. I'm going to get on a ship and, and I'm going to get, now some of you, it may terrify you to do that, but for most of us, it'd be kind of an adventure, right? And we'd get on there and we would go. And that's the way Paul looked at his death. He perceived it as leaving a port, listen, for his true home, his true destination, so for him, it was not that he was facing the execution. It was that he was getting ready to leave for what he was passionate about. He's moving in that direction. Death was not something he avoided. It's something he anticipated. That's the language that we read in the epistles that he wrote. So death is the door to those things. If you really think about it, death is the door to those things that are longed for. Instead of ignoring death and hoping it'll go away, Paul embraced it, death, because he properly understood it. This is the problem of many people. They don't understand the implications of death and where it leads. And the reason for it is there's so much false teaching out there concerning death. And it's becoming more and more acceptable. Now, let me tell you why all these things are becoming acceptable. Because it, it, here's, here's the world which we live in. And many of you know this. It's that whole idea that we have to tolerate everyone's beliefs and, and believe that if that's truth for you, then bless your heart, that's truth for you. Uh, and, and then over here, and this is truth for me. And over here, this person, this is truth for you. We hand out truth like we're handing out candy bars. I want you to think about that. That's not even logical. It's impossible for everything to be true. If something contradicts another, something else, guess what? One is true and one is not. That's just the way it works. And it's amazing the things that we believe. The first false teaching I want to talk about this morning is universal, universalism. And, and, and by the way, I want you to think about this. Everyone says what's true for you is true for you. You can live in that reality of that truth for you. But I don't. Y'all, I don't, I don't, I want to live where truth is true. You, you know what I'm talking about? I want to live in that, in that world of truth, not what I think is truth or what feels good to me and, and all that. I want to discover the truth. And for many, this whole idea of universalism is out there. Universalism is basically the idea that, er, when, that when everyone dies, everyone goes to heaven, basically. All roads lead to heaven. It says it does not matter what you believe in, as long as your belief, and many of you can feel this in, is what? Sincere. Sincere. 
I've told you many times, my wife tells me many times that I'm sincerely wrong. <laughs> Some of you shaking your head. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, nah. The only problem with what we just read is this whole idea of universalism. Again, let, let me just tell you where I am. I've learned to trust God's word. The parts that are hard, the parts that are easier or whatever you want to do. I've just learned to trust it. I take my orders from this. Uh, how I try to conduct my life on a daily basis, I try to take it from this. Does I, do I fail at times? Yes. All of us do, don't we? But this is where I find truth. And, and so when I'm looking for truth, and I'm looking at, okay, the issue of death and what awaits and what it's all about, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this. It's as clear as you can be. Look here on the screen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father who is in heaven, except where? Through him. It's the only way it happens. So, so, so Jesus is basically saying, I just want to tell you, all roads do not lead, lead to heaven. It's not, it doesn't. I, I'm the way. He's referring to himself. Jesus' words are either true or they're not. And you have to make a decision. And he calls us to that decision. You see, I believe universalism is more offensive to God than an atheist is. A universalist is basically saying, you don't need the cross. You don't need the provision of Jesus. You just go out there and do whatever you want to do and create your own truth or fall under a truth that fits you. And therefore, you can bypass the cross. You can bypass the provision that God sent his only begotten son. You see what I'm talking about? It's that whole idea. Another false teaching about death is something called annihilationism. And it's basically that idea that this is all there is. There's nothing more. When the heart stops beating and the, uh, the lungs have, have expelled the last of the air, then all of a sudden everything just ends. And there's a big group of people out there to believe that. Matter of fact, that's one of, the, one of the fastest growing movements in the whole idea of life after death is this right here. And, and, and so when we die, listen, we just waste away. Of course, we know from the Bible that our body dies, but our soul lives on. The essence of who we, live, who we are lives on. If this is truth, then it raises the question, where does the soul go? According to God's word, one of two places. Heaven or hell. It's very clear. We try to make it complicated, but it's very clear. Jesus said, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, the if there is, is a conditional clause. Some people would say, well, it's not really the word if there is since. And I, I, I understand both. But if it is if, then it's, it's, it's a conditional clause, which means you come to God on his terms, not the terms you set forth. And he's, Jesus is basically saying, if that's the case, then I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And when I come again and receive you to myself, then, then where I am, there you may be also. Now, again, how do you face death courageously? Just trust in his word. Does this not bring comfort to your heart? Is this not what it's all about? Is this worth building your life upon? This truth? Another false teaching, reincarnation, meaning rebirth. 
We just keep coming back over and over and over again. For some religions, it's we're moving towards something or we're moving away from something. Uh, but reincarnation is a works-based type salvation. And, and it really shows up in Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, the new, new Age movement, which is really just Hinduism resurrected is really all that is. Mixture of Hinduism and Buddhism. But guess what God's Word says? Isn't it amazing we have all these ideas and we, I mean, if you go and look on Wikipedia about Hinduism and Buddhism, you'll hear, you'll see these long, drawn out things about what it is, what the implications are. And yet one part of one verse in God's word wipes it all out. Here, here's what it says, Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for men to what? Die once. But after this, the judgment. Isn't it amazing that God's word, just a stroke of a verse, can wipe away all kinds of thoughts and false teaching? And it does. Just wipes it away. False teaching about death, something called purgatory. You'll be amazed to know that purgatory is, was actually found, founded uh, within the church. The Roman Catholic Church, this is a, a, a doctrine that's taught in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not found anywhere else. Not found in God's Word by any means. But, but it's just something that hangs out there. And again, let me just tell you about purgatory. I'll just tell you this right off the bat. It's highly offensive to the cross. Highly offensive to the cross. Let, let, me, let me show you why. Some believe that when a person dies, they do not go to heaven or hell, but they go to a place called purgatory. In purgatory, you suffer as a way to pay God back for the sins that you've committed here on earth. Now, let me ask you a question. Who are, who are we trusting in to take care of our sin debt? Christ. That's what the cross was all about. If I'm going to go take care of it myself, then what does it make the cross? Obsolete. It's not necessary. Highly offensive to the cross, this thought. Highly offensive. I mean, can you imagine God standing there and saying, what in the world do you think you're doing? The cross is the way. I, I sent my son to take care of the sin debt. What do you think this is? This is offensive. You're trying to bypass my provision. That's exactly what purgatory is, the whole, the whole idea of it. Besides the fact that this is not taught anywhere in Scripture, I believe it's very insulting to the death of Jesus Christ. It basically says the death of Jesus isn't sufficient to save you of your sins. You've got to do, you've got to do work at it yourself. Instead, when you die, you go to a place of suffering where you pay for the things that you've done wrong. Then you can go to heaven. But if you do a quick Bible study of Luke chapter 16 from the very words of Jesus, you know what you come away with? You come away with this, that when a person dies, listen, their, their destination is determined and will not and cannot be changed. It's either heaven or hell. You, you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not up here making this stuff up. I'm up here, how many, have you seen how many verses I've tried to give you this morning? This is God's word. Another false teaching about, about death is something called soul sleep. And, and you do, you've got this idea that kind of shows up in many cults and different places. Uh, actually, some Protestant denominations hold to this. But let me tell you this. It's the whole idea that when a Christian dies, 
they basically go into what is called a soul coma, okay? The body dies, soul goes into some kind of soul coma, okay? And, and basically, it's asleep. And they are there, and they're waiting for the return of Christ. And I kind of understand in some ways why they would come to this conclusion, because it says when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen? The dead in Christ shall rise, and then we who are remain will join them and that kind of thing. So I can understand the confusion to a little bit. But here's what you got to understand. When it comes to God's Word, you got to take the whole context of Scripture. you you got to look at it all. And, and the Bible does say that, but it, it means, I think it means something else. It's not talking about, it's the whole idea of bringing the body. It's that whole idea of our glorified body. I think it's the imagery of that, that that body laid in the ground, but there's going to be a new body that's introducing us to that. But here's what we need to understand. When Jesus hung on the cross, do you remember the, 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 the thief that was beside him? What did Jesus tell him? Jesus said, today... You're going to be with me in paradise. You can take comfort in that. Hey, that's not the only place we find it in Scripture. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Five, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather than be, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, the, the, the English is a little confusing here, but you know what it means? You're going to be in one of two places as a believer. All this is in the context of a believer. You're either going, I mean, think about this. You're either going to be here, absent from the body, uh, to, and, and to be present with the Lord. So when I, what does that imply? When I'm absent from the body, a, a believer in Christ, what's the implication? Present with the Lord. You get that? Okay. So it's very clear. Now, to be able to face death courageously, we need to know the truth about death. Death is just a departure. It's not the end. It's the beginning. It has, it has been explained this way. If you are not a true believer in Christ, listen, this world is really all you can hope for. This is as good as it gets. If you're not a true believer in Christ, this is as close to heaven as you ever will be. If you're not a true believer in Christ, this is as close to hell you'll ever be. Listen, death for the believer, listen, is the beginning of a new adventure. Henry Beecher, he's a preacher back in the 1800s, says he's facing his own death. And, and he tells his family gathered around his deathbed, he says, now comes the mystery. John Bunyan said this, weep not for me but for yourselves. I go to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will receive me. He wasn't making that up. He took that straight out of Scripture. That was his truth. Thirdly, to leave this world courageously, we need to battle faithfully. How many of you agree that living the life God's called you to is a battle? It is. It's a battle sometimes in your family. It's a battle in the workplace. It's a battle in your, in your neighborhood. It's a battle. And Paul was basically saying, listen, everywhere I looked, there was a battle in front of me. And, and the reason I know that is because if you look at the context of the scripture, so battle faithfully, and it's that whole idea. What is he talking about? Look on your outline. Have fault. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at what he says in verse 6 again. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And then he says this, I have fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. 
Paul, listen, understood struggle, persecution, and hardship. He realized this life, listen, was not the end product. It was not the best. There was much more to come. But while he was here, he would do his best to live out what he was called to do and please the one who gave him life in the future. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Paul writes this also. And let us not grow weary while doing good. You know what he's saying? Doing good is a challenge. It's a fight. When you try to do good, what's one thing you fight? You battle your flesh, don't you? You battle the world. You battle the philosophies. You, you battle the heresy that's out there. Part of the reason we're struggling with death here, sitting here today, is, is all the heresy that's surrounding death and all these ideas about what it is, but we're not even taking it from God's word. Paul's hope, listen, Paul's hope was not in the things of this world. Instead, his hope and his heart were set on things above. They were the things of the future, they were the things of eternity. Next, battle faithfully. Have, he's saying, I have finished. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 says this. He's not only fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Now, Paul sees that he's about to cross the finish line of his life. And he knows he's going to make it. Look at what the writer of Hebrews, which some people believe was Paul himself, look at what he says in Hebrews 12, 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And then look at the terminology here. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a race out there. There's something, listen, the whole implication of race is not only there's a, a path of the race, there's that whole idea that, that, that there is a starting point and there's going to be an ending point. You, you understand that, right? That's the imagery he's given here. Now, if you were to study the stages of a race, I was just talking to someone a while ago who does a lot of foot racing, 5K, 10K, whatever. Here are, the stage, here are the stages of a race for the runner. There's the training and discipline to get ready. You know, if you're going to try to win the race, what do you have to do? You got to train for it. You got to discipline yourself. Then you have the whole excitement and optimism at the beginning. I've been in many of these foot races, and, and it seems like every time I get to the start line, when I get nervous, I know this sounds terrible, I have the urge to need to go to the bathroom. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I need to go pee-pee, okay? And it's funny, some of the races I go to, they're kind of out in the middle of somewhere, and they got all these porta-potties everywhere. And so it brought me great comfort to walk up on one race and find out there were hundreds of them things. And everybody, I said, evidently, everybody gets nervous and has to go pee pee. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are sitting there like, I can't believe you're saying this. Well, you better get used to it. I used poopy head the other day. So. Okay. All right. Now, let me, just, let me just say this. There's that whole idea of being optimistic and excited. And then if you're a runner, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something called hitting the wall. Now, I don't know if I've ever hit the wall in a 5K race. I've hit it at 10K, and I definitely have hit it at a mini marathon. And it's that whole idea where your body's like, no, let's don't go any further. Please, let's don't go any further. But your mind is saying, no, we're going to go for this. We're going to go for this. 
I remember one race, we were in Wilmington, it was a 13-mile race, and uh, Greenfield Lake is there in Wilmington, it's a park and everything, anyway, around the, around the lake is about four miles, 4.3 miles or something, 4.4, something like that. And so, to, to, to get around the race, to do the 13 miles, you got to run around the, uh, uh, the lake three times to finish. And uh, I was a young man, and, and uh, that, that particular day, is kind of ironic, I, I had a cold, and I took some cold medicine just before the race. Let me just say this, don't do that if you ever decide to race, okay, especially a long race. And so anyway, I got this cold medicine in me, and I just started running. I was feeling terrible. I was having a hard time breathing right, and nothing was working out. I probably just should have stayed home that day. And I'm going around my second time around the lake, and there's this pine cone, and at least I think it was a pine cone. And I tripped over, and, and, and there was about there's a, there a, a little cliff kind of going to the lake, and I fell, I fell over the pine cone, and I fell in off that little cliff area and almost rolled into the lake. And I'll be honest with you, my body was saying, we ain't going any further. <laughs> so anyway, I'm laying there like, oh, my goodness. And I hear these women talking. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world is that all about? And they're just going around, just talking like they're sitting over some coffee and all that. And I'm like, surely they're not in this race. And they got the bib on. They, I mean, they just, I'm a young man. I'm laying in the ditch, basically. And they just go by like there's nothing to it. They're out there like, I'm serious. But there's that whole idea of the wall. And many of us in life have been there. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, I don't want to go on. There can't be, please tell me there's not any more down the road. But Paul was saying, yeah, there's going to be times where you're going to hit the wall. And then there comes a point in the race where, where, where all you care about is just finishing the race. You don't even care about winning anymore. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You just want to get the T-shirt, right? <laughs> I finished it. But it's that whole idea. Paul was saying, listen, I've completed what I've been called to do. The race that was before me, there was a starting point. There was an ending point, And I'm getting to the ending point, and, and, and I want to cross the finish line. Next, battle faithfully. He's saying, I have kept. Look at what he says. Verse 7, the last part, I have kept the faith. Kept means, if you look at it in this context, it means Paul was diligent, intentional, passionate about his faith. Paul was saying, I have been faithful to the call and the one who called me. Now, me personally, listen, I have never talked to someone on their deathbed who's laying there who said, you know something? I am so glad I was unfaithful with my life. Never have I heard that. It's always that idea of, I think I was faithful. Oh, I hope, I hope, I, I hope that idea of faith and being faithful. We need to live with the end in focus. First Timothy chapter six, look what it says. Paul says, oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it. Some have strayed concerning the faith. Paul, Paul was telling Timothy, stay on the course of the race. Stay on that course. There was a beginning point where you were called. There's going to be a finish line out there. Don't let the world tell you that the finish line is, is something else. Paul's encouraging him to battle through the life faithfully. 2 Timothy 4, 
Verse 7, look again, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. There was a time in my life where I was very discouraged. You ever been there? Very discouraged. And I, I, it was one of the things where it almost was like a race. I, I just wanted to lay down and just stop and quit. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, is it worth it? And, and, and I remember um, my wife, she, um, she, she normally, when I get in that position, she normally gives me the word of God, but she gave me a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Some of you have heard the quote. Look at it here on the screen. Here's what, here's what, he, here's what he wrote. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows the end, the triumph of his high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while, doing, while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat." Because they won't even basically get in the arena. Paul was one of those men that got into the arena. You know what's interesting about Paul? He encouraged others to get into the arena. Titus, Timothy, uh, Barnabas, who even uh, was his mentor. If you look later in the stages of Barnabas' life, uh, he was taken from Paul. Because Paul challenged people. Lastly, to face death courageously, we got to receive assured, assuredly. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. Paul's whole life was a pursuit of righteousness. It, at first, it began his own pursuit of his own righteousness. But you know what? That was corrected because he found out later he couldn't, get there with his righteousness. It had to be the righteousness of Jesus. This verse tells us that in that prison cell, Paul was not having a pity party. He was having a celebration. So here's what I want you to understand. If you were to take all of Paul's writings and you were to publish them in a book, and then you were to give that book a title, the title of that book, listen, would not be your best life now. If you were to publish all his writings and give that book a title, it would probably say your best life later. Paul lived his life for the life to come and that's why he could face his death courageously. Here's the application. As Paul, we do not have to fear death if our faith is grounded in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. I want to invite you to stand to your feet, if you will. Father, we just come to you now. And Lord, I have no idea what's in this room. I, I, I don't know where people are this morning. And, but Father, I know you do. And Father, I just pray that you would work mightily in their hearts, Lord, that you have already. And uh, maybe even before they got here this morning. And Father, right now, we just pray that you would just work in their life. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, 
Maybe their fears are real. Maybe it's, it's beyond what they can handle. And, and, and really, they're struggling, and they just want to have hope beyond this life. Father, if there's someone here that wants to give their life to you through your son Jesus and come through that sacrifice, I pray they'll do that today. Father, if there's a Christian that's here and they're facing some, some real struggles, maybe, maybe like me in the race, they've fallen by the wayside and, and they feel like everyone else is succeeding, but they, they just feel like sometimes they just can't go any farther. Father, I just pray you be with them and help them to come to the understanding that sometimes you're so gracious that you can just pick us up and carry us. Father, I just pray right now that you have your way in this service, in this invitation. Lord, just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. and I'll be here at the front. Gary will be here. We just invite you to do what God's calling you to do. Would you do that for us?